Uh, today we want to um, continue our uh, study uh, in uh, 1 John, okay? And we've come to a place that is kind of famous that you might have heard of before, oftentimes used in, uh, you know, in a variety of, uh, in a variety of ways, okay? Okay, so uh, last week... Uh, we, uh, we mentioned uh, in, ver- in chapter 2, in verses 12, 13, and 14, okay, uh, that uh, it's, it's like a little parenthesis. Because if you see in verse, uh, verse 11, he talks about light and darkness, those contrasts. And then that contrast continues in verse uh, 15, So, uh, you know, in verse 11 it says, But the one who hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eye. Right? Light versus darkness. All right. Uh, And then you go down to verse 15. The first thing it says is, Do not love the world. And so there's a contrast between loving the world and loving God and, and so on. And then in the middle you have verses 12, 13, and 14 where he says, I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you, I'm writing to you. And he actually repeats it twice, what, uh, what he's saying to the different groups. He repeats himself. And what he's doing there in that little parenthesis is he is reminding them who they are. We talked about this uh, last time, that uh, he is reminding them, uh, uh, you know, everyone, that you know, you're forgiven of your sins, you belong to God, uh, you, love, you love God, as it says here. I, I, you know, you little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You fathers, uh, you know him who has been from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because uh, you have overcome the evil one. I have written to you, children, because you know the father. He repeats himself. I have written to you, fathers, because you know him who has been from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. So this is sort of like this great motivational little speech that he's giving uh, to everybody, to older folks, to younger people, that you know the Lord, your sins are forgiven, you've overcome the evil one, know who you are in the Lord. And the reason why he says that is because he knows that there is always a fight from within and without. Now, in much of this letter, he talks about the danger from within. He talks, uh, you know, uh, making sure they realize that uh, uh, sinlessness is not the mark of being a believer and that confession is uh, indeed part of the life of a Messiah follower and that if we say we have no sin, we make him a liar and that Yeshua was a real, uh, a real person. He's reacting in uh, so far a lot of this letter to Uh, a group that had come in and had been teaching wrong things and then many of them left and now they're left with questions and so he's like straightening them out. But now he's going to deal with the danger from outside uh, of the infiltration of the way of the world into the body of, of, of Messiah. And so he's saying, remember who you are, remember who you are and that is so important that we remember who we are in Messiah, our identity in Him, remembering uh, the worldview, you might say, uh, that we have as uh, believers in Yeshua. 
So when we say that, you know, the difference between the worldview of, uh, of a Messiah follower and, and just someone who's just sort of going along in this world, the first and most basic thing is that the Messiah has come, you know, and, uh, and that Yeshua is our Lord, He is our King, uh, and we live according to His ways as opposed to the ways of the world. And there are many contrasts, uh, uh, you know, uh, to that. Uh, not only that, but we don't see <clears throat> this world putting all of our eggs in this world. In other words, that uh, there's a temporalness uh, uh, to this world. But uh, our life in the Lord is eternal, uh, is uh, forever. And so no matter what we endure, no matter what happens day by day in this world, we know that that is not forever, that there is always a future and a hope uh, 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 for us. Also, our values, the values that we have are, are uh, different. We uh, value relationship with God uh, and His ways uh, as primary. Uh, in this world, there's a lot of value is placed on position. A lot of value is placed on, on uh, what we own or our investments uh, or our, uh, our uh, placement in... Uh, you know, in the company or, or, or uh, our, our job. Or we place a lot of value, tremendous value, uh, in uh, uh, our spouse or our children. Uh, and while it's good to value things, uh, in terms of the priority of values, when God is not on top, uh, when God is not on top, that is when uh, things begin to... Um, uh, crumble for us in terms of uh, our strength uh, in the Lord, as he's going to say here. So in verse 15, <clears throat> now that he has uh, said, you know, uh, to you young, uh, young people, uh, young men, he says here, because you're strong and the word of God abides in you, you've overcome the evil one. So remember that because he's going to now say, do not love the world. Okay, now, one, two, three, those five words is basically for the next uh, three verses, that is what he's trying to explain. Do not love the world. So we have to first ask ourselves, what does he mean by loving the world? World is a funny word in the Bible, right? Uh, it can mean a lot of different things. Uh, the most famous verse in the New Covenant, right? God so loved the world, right? So here he says, do not love the world. Uh, one could say, ah, look, there's a contradiction. Uh, you know, when someone says that to you like that, you say, get in line. You know what I mean? There's a, <laughs> you know, I, I, of course it's not a contradiction. The world sometimes is referring to people, the world sometimes is referring to God's creation. <coughs> so that means things, everything he's made and people. Okay, uh, But here it is referring to, one might say, the way of the world. The way of the world. All that is the, all that is the opposite of the will of God. Uh, the darkness versus the light, one might say. Uh, you know, in other places... Uh, uh, um, other terms are used. Paul uses uh, one of the 
a great little phrase in Colossians, uh, is the domain of darkness. You know, uh, that is a way of uh, identifying the world here. But <clears throat> we'll take it apart a little bit here. But the way of the world is really the best way. The way the world thinks, the values of the world. Uh, uh, the, uh, he's not talking about uh, the world as in uh, there's nothing enjoyable in the world. Everything is bad in the world. Uh, all material things are no good, right? Because sometimes we'll say that like material things versus spiritual things. So that would, by definition, if you say that, that means you're saying then all created things really are not good uh, if, every, if, if it's versus spiritual, right? And you know that that is not what we would say. You know, in a way, everything is spiritual, not everything is God. That's a that's a be a false belief, but everything is spiritual uh, if if one uh, uses it in in a way that glorifies uh, God, right? Obviously, there are some things that are not spiritual uh, because there's no way that they could uh, glorify God or draw us closer to God. But uh, uh, the the uh, material world is not evil, uh, and God did create it. Uh, and you read in uh, uh, Genesis, uh, it is good, you know, we read that a number of different times, uh, it is good, it is good, God made it, it is good, and, uh, and so if you enjoy uh, um, going uh, and having a nice meal, there's nothing wrong with that, you enjoy, uh, you know, your family, your spouse, intimacy, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, all in the right way, and it's the way God intended. It's marvelous and, uh, you know, and fantastic. Uh, and so he's not saying here, uh, when he says don't love the world, means retreat from the world, you know, and live like in a cave. Uh, it reminds me of, an, uh, there's an advertisement on television uh, uh, for, I think it's for a, a cable company or for a cell phone. And you have these two neighbors living next to each other. And one of them is just like you and me, right? And the other one is pretending it's like 1850, right? Uh, and like uh, one is mowing the lawn, the other one is kind of like plowing, uh, you know. And, they, and, and so they, uh, the, the father, uh, or the kid complains, why can't we, uh, you know, have a phone like, uh, like they do? And the father says, well, because we're pioneers, you know? And the kid says, right, like our boring clothes, and like our strange haircuts, and like, the point of it is, is, you know, for the consumer, of course, the point is that, uh, you know, get with it. Uh, if you don't have this, uh, this uh, phone or whatever, you're like in the dark ages. But yet, on the other hand, there's a point to be made there that sometimes we think uh, uh, that that is holier. That, uh, you know, if only we could be Charles Ingalls, you know, or his family, or his wife, or his daughters, or sons, or sons-in-law, or wherever that goes. You know, of course, we could say the Waltons, but that really went south after a while. If you're, but um, uh, you know, the the fact of the matter is, is that that is not what this is talking about at all. But I think that down deep inside, even though we would say, of course, it's not what it's talking about. That's what we really think it's talking about, but it really isn't. Okay. Uh, it, it is not. So, the world is the way of the world, the thinking of the world. 
what it is indeed that we value. Because you can live a very nice, simple lifestyle. You could uh, say, well, we, won't, we don't watch television. We don't use a computer. Okay? Uh, I, uh, and still value everything in the world. And, uh, and be idolizing even a way of life that plenty of people who are atheists could live the very same way. So it's kind of interesting that way. It, it's, in, in a way, you're, it proves the point that one says that I don't love the world, but the way, we, the way we fashion or live in the world really is what I, uh, you know, my world. <laughs> that is what I uh, 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 love. Uh, and so it's important that we, that we get this. Okay. So, love is another word. Do not love the world. Love is a very interesting word. Uh, yes, it is the word agape. And, uh, you know, we often use, you know, pigeonhole that word to make it be a selfless love. But overall, uh, the, the word here does, uh, uh, you know, what it is that we, what we value uh, what, where our passions are, right? Because he, he uh, talks about loving the world <clears throat> and, uh, you know, love and hate, uh, you know, in the same uh, contexts here. Uh, and, and so when you go back to verse um, uh, 11, when he talks about, uh, or 10 and 11, the one who loves his brother abides in the light, there is no cause for stumbling in him. It, it has to do with value and, and, uh, and, and things of that nature and concern and passions and, and all of that. Okay, so he says here, do not love the world nor the things in the world. Okay, uh, and so uh, when he says the things uh, in the world, okay, again, uh, he's referring to, uh, to that which detracts, takes away, substitutes uh, uh, God. Okay? Now, uh, so he says, Do not love the world, nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So we see, uh, if we were going to say, well, why should I not love the world and everything that's in it? And, and just, you know, I mean, I, I know the Lord, but I just love everything, you know, love, love the world and my, my, my passions are here. And, and, uh, and even though uh, uh, I know the Lord, I'm, um, you know, obsessed with X, Y, and Z, with whatever it might be. Uh, what's wrong with that? Because here he says, the love of the Father is, is, not, is not in him. Okay? So right here... Uh, this is very interesting because you have throughout the Bible, all the way through the Bible, you have this uh, uh, idea, one might say, or this, uh, the way of teaching, that there are two ways to go. There's the way of God and everything else, right? Now, this is not something that is brand new, just as John says, I'm not teaching you something new. There's, there, in the uh, Torah... Certainly Moses, when the children of Israel are at the edge of uh, the Jordan River and they're ready to cross and go into the land, uh, Moses challenges them in uh, Deuteronomy in chapter 30 in verse 19. He says here, 
I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. That's like cleaving, you know, like cleaving to him. Uh, for this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, uh, to give them. So he says, choose, choose life, right? Now, couched in these terms, it's kind of a no-brainer, right? So let's see, should I choose life or death, right? Choose life. But it's not life as defined by the easy life or the life of Riley, right? If you remember anything like that, all right? Uh, or, uh, you know, uh, whatever, however you think life ought to be, uh, you know. Uh, th that's not what he's talking about. Because he defines it right here. By loving the Lord your God and obeying his voice and holding fast to him. He's not talking about a varieties of circumstances or, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the hand I've been dealt uh, or the unfairness of it all or anything. No, he says life is loving God. See, so this is not something new uh, uh, that uh, John is uh, uh, telling us. Uh, he's really repeating in different words exactly what Moses is saying. Here, the only difference is, is with the understanding that the Messiah has come and, 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 you know, and that uh, the Ruach uh, dwells uh, within us and we can have even greater intimacy and greater satisfaction indeed with God, knowing that our sins are forgiven and we've overcome the evil one uh, you know, and the love of the Father is in us. And remember that, remember who you are in Messiah. So certainly we will choose life. And certainly, we will indeed love God. Now, it is interesting, this two ways is repeated in a lot of places. Probably the most famous place is Proverbs. If you go to chapter 10, you know there's all different kinds of Proverbs in the book of Proverbs, right? Of course you know that. Yes, I know. Okay. All right. But in, uh, starting in uh, chapter 10, notice, isn't it interesting what it says at the beginning of verse 1? Oh, you'll have to take the writings course at MSI uh, to understand this. Chapter 10 begins with the Proverbs of Solomon. Huh, what's before it? Huh, interesting. Anyway, all right, the Proverbs of Solomon. Notice how each verse goes here. See, it says, a wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Ill-gotten gain do no profit, but the righteous delivers from death. The Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, to hunger but he will thrust aside the craving of the wicked. The, uh, you see here two ways. Two ways, right? And you see it, look at chapter 11, and look at chapter 12, and look at chapter 13. It goes on and on. The two ways. Very important. This, this uh, uh, certainly is a, a biblical uh, Jewish uh, Second Temple Judaism uh, and uh, rabbinic Judaism way of teaching uh, these two ways. You see it. Uh, you see it in the apocryphal literature. You see it in Qumran. You see, it, you know, the Dead Sea Scrolls. You see it uh, here. 
Uh, and then in the Brit Hadashah, Yeshua teaches uh, this way a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. For example, in Matthew uh, chapter 6, beginning in verse 19, he says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves, by the way, isn't it interesting, up is, does not necessarily mean here like up in, up, on, up in heaven, because do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Isn't that interesting? Anyway, so he says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth or rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. Where is your heart? What do you really desire? What do you really want? That's where your heart is, okay? And so that's something to really come to terms with in in your life, in our lives. And remember, we're constantly growing and moving and journeying in our lives. So we need to constantly ask ourselves, what do I want? really want in life why am i not what do i want is it is it like this and don't we all think this way to a certain degree okay once i uh like if you're a student right once i take that exam then it's gonna be great once i graduate once my child graduates right i once i i get married i once i retire i what do I really want, right? I wonder for how many of us, when we think about what I really want, has to do with desiring God in some way, shape, or form. Or is that just, you know, of course, that's, that's what I, you know, that's, that's, of course I want that. But what I really want is, you know, this thing, or this institution, or uh, this uh, political party, uh, or, you know, this candidate, or this uh, economic situation, or whatever, I, you know, I don't, I don't know. Uh, but where your treasure is, that is indeed where your heart is. A verse like that is so familiar that the problem is we often just skip over it and assume it. But you see, that's a real challenge for us. But that's not all. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore the eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light is in you is if the light in you is darkness, how great the darkness. You know, and uh, you see uh, that phrase, you know, you know the eye being good, the eye being bad. You see that frankly, you see that in rabbinic literature and elsewhere. Uh, meaning I uh, uh, this, the same kind of thing like the good inclination and the evil inclination, frankly. Okay? Okay? <clears throat> now, frank, uh, unfortunately, there have been people throughout history who have written, you know, uh, way back, way back, who've like, who've like made themselves go blind, uh, uh, which is certainly not what, it is, uh, not what it is saying. Right? But again, you have two ways. Now, verse 24, Right? No one can serve two masters, for either will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and mammon, or God and money, right? 
Uh, uh, in other words, you can't have two passions like that. Now, it's one thing to uh, you know, do well in life and earn a living, and that's fine. There's no oath of poverty that I read about in the Bible, right, or anything like that. Except where's your passion? Where's your focus? Where's your heart? Where's your treasure? That is what he's talking about, see? Uh, and then, see in verse 25, uh, I'm not going to read this whole thing, but you see, that's just for this reason. <coughs> Don't be anxious for your life, what you shall eat, what you shall drink, nor for your body as to what you shall put on. Is not life more than food and the body than clothing? This is all about where your heart is. It's not just, you don't take these verses out and just simply say, well, you know, God says, don't worry about it. Well, that's right when our heart is in the right place. Because if your heart is in the wrong place, you will worry about it. You will. And you will think God has indeed failed you if your heart is not in the right place. Okay? Uh, and so that's why if you jump down to verse 33... He says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these shall be added to you. And that's when he says, therefore, do not be anxious for tomorrow, for tomorrow will care for itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Where is your heart? Where is the treasure? Right? There's a lot of the places we could turn, but if we go back to 1 John here, that helps us, I think, a little bit in understanding when he says, do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all, Now he's going to explain that more. For all that is in the world, the lust or the great desire of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And what he's doing is he's using different terms to describe what Yeshua was teaching uh, there in the Sermon on the Mount. Certainly... <clears throat> Uh, when he says the lust, see the word lust and the word flesh and the word eyes uh, are not bad words taken uh, just by definition, okay? So the lust of the flesh, uh, some would say it's referring primarily to sensual or uh, sexual uh, issues. Well, certainly it includes that, but I would say it's probably a sort of a, 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 all of it, you know? The lust of the flesh, whatever it is, whatever it is uh, pulls our strings, whatever it is that, motiv that really motivates us. See, a lot of times when it comes to issues uh, of God and of the Lord, we've domesticated uh, that, that part of our lives, you know? And it's very controlled as long as I read the Bible and I pray, you know, that's all well and good. But boy, what really gets me going is this. Or that, see? And, and that's what we need to ask ourselves. Okay, it's not wrong to have hobbies. It's not wrong to enjoy things of this world. But what is it that pulls my chain? What is it that really motivates me? That's the challenge here, okay? That is indeed uh, the, uh, uh, the, the challenge. Now, there's a lot that we could certainly say about uh, oh, these different kinds of desires. When he talks about uh, sight, when he uh, talks here about the lust of the eyes, certainly, uh, you know, it's interesting, back in the Sermon on the Mount, Yeshua does say, when you look upon a woman to lust. He does, you know, 
He doesn't just say when you lust it. He, wants, he says when you look. So certainly you do have the, the sexual, sensual issue. And, and uh, without pass, just passing over that, that is, you know, uh, perhaps the, uh, the most insidious sin amongst us. Because uh, uh, when you think about uh, pornography, when you, uh, you know, not only just like, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, extramarital affairs or uh, acting out in, in all those ways, but lusting after the flesh, uh, boy, you know, and it's, or I mean, uh, the, um, uh, the lust of the eyes. It's very interesting because when you really think about that, whether we're talking about something sexual or just something else that we see, that really uh, gets us going, you know, for some, it might be an automobile, right? Uh, or uh, just something that we've, you know, really desired. Uh, oftentimes what it is, it's a very superficial uh, kind of desire without taking into consideration all the ramifications beyond sight, you know? Uh, and, of, of course, many have likened the, uh, these sins to Eve, right? Uh, being attempted uh, in the garden, seeing the fruit, right? It looks good, uh, and it tastes good. You know, it, it looks good. She eat, eats it, and, uh, and there's a, a sort of a, the, the way of the world is given to her. You'll be like God, you know, knowing good and evil. Uh, but that's, you know, that, that is one of many illustrations uh, of, uh, of that that uh, we all have to check ourselves on this issue of the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and then the boastful pride of life. Pride that comes from what we get out of the world. See, if, if our pride comes from what we get out of the world, then our heart is really there. And so again, we have to ask ourselves, what is it that we really uh, uh, desire? Then in verse 17, he says, And the world is passing away. You know, it's interesting, uh, that is, in, in a way, you could look at this as, in verse 15, he says, do not love the world, and then he gives reasons why not to love the world, which is, is that the, you know, the love of the Father is not in him, and then the other reason is, is because the world is passing away. So you have, because the love of the Father is not in him, and the world is passing away. And, uh, and again, Yeshua speaks to both of these issues. There, you know, in the Sermon on the Mount, you can't love both God and this world. You, they, uh, 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 as an end game, as an end result, you can't have, you cannot treasure both the things of God and the things of this world. So how do we deal with the things of this world? Well, in our love of God, we filter everything through it. If we, if we filter everything through it, it's interesting how things begin to find their uh, their priority level when God is really, when we choose life and when we really desire to live for God, when we really desire to obey God, then we seem to be able to negotiate uh, these different things. And also the world is passing away. And that's why Yeshua says, as we just read, that uh, don't lay up for yourselves treasures in this world where moth uh, you know, and rust will destroy, but treasures in heaven. You know, I don't know if you've ever hung around people that are, uh, that are, uh, have lived a good long life, but now it's come to close to the end of that good long life. And it's very interesting that, 
you know, I, I, you would have no idea if you walked around in a nursing home all the different kinds of lives that people have lived and all the great experiences that they've had and the travels that they've had and, and you know, rich family relations or no family or whatever it might be, see? Because, you see, no matter who we are in this world, no matter who we are in this world, the world is passing away, see? And what, what God has given us to hang our hat on, to love, to be passionate for, is something that will never leave, will never, will never go away, and nor, uh, nor disappoint. <clears throat> and so it's interesting here, if you look at verses 15, 16, and 17 as a little section, and you see the beginning of verse 15, do not love the world, and then it says, for the love of the Father is not in him. In verse 17, it says, the world is passing away, and the one who does the will of the the, the, who, the one who does the will of God abides forever. So you have, again, a choice. The one who does the will of God abides forever. The one who loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And so it becomes for us, so who am I? What is really in my heart? What is the treasure of my, uh, of my heart? Is it the way of the world? Is it the value of the world? Is it, uh, you know, just uh, wanting what's mine uh, or, you know, things of, of that nature? God has indeed uh, given us a, uh, a choice. And let me just finish by uh, saying this. Sometimes, <clears throat> sometimes I even, you know, the, the Bible says the heart is deceit, deceitfully wicked. Or, uh, yeah, wicked. Who can understand it? Sometimes we don't even realize it. Sometimes we don't even realize that I'm loving the world. You know, and, and by the way, uh, you know, James uh, uh, says, don't be friends with the world. And he uses adultery as the metaphor. That, uh, you know, loving the world is not just opposed to loving God, but is like you're, uh, you know, you're practicing adultery uh, by loving, loving the world, by being passionate for another See? So it's kind of a stark contrast there when we're really going to be uh, serious about the things of God. But when I say that sometimes uh, we deceive ourselves, because sometimes we pray, Lord, I want this thing. You know, Lord, I, you know, I'll follow you all the days of my life, but I, but I want you to do this thing. I need this thing. I need this to have whatever, whatever it is. And it really might be worthy you know, uh, and, and, and a good thing. But if we are basically judging God by what he does for me in this world, then I'm really loving this world with a facade of loving God. Now, so what do we do about that? What do we do if our heart has kind of grown cold? What do we do about it? Okay, very quickly. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 42. Psalm 42, okay? So I won't even read the whole thing, but... This is a great psalm if you're kind of depressed, all right? Because he's depressed. The psalmist here is depressed, okay? Uh, why, you know, in verse 5 it says, Why are you in despair, O my soul? Right? So it's a psalm of despair. But it's interesting what he prays at the very beginning. As the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you, O God. He doesn't pray, Lord, fix it. Whatever the thing is that he's depressed about, 
He doesn't, it's not in the, it's not in the psalm. He doesn't say, Lord, heal my bones. Or, Lord, I, uh, you know, fix my marriage. Lord, my children are going the wrong way. Or, Lord, uh, I'm afraid of the doctor's report that's coming. Or, Lord, I might lose my job. He doesn't pray. He says, Lord, I need more of you. I need more of you. See, the antidote is not to simply to, to put uh, a God on the, as some people like to say, on the witness stand, <laughs> you know, and then judge God by what he's going to do. But no, Lord, I want more of you. And what you will find is the secret. The secret that Paul understands. Paul in the New Covenant. Very quickly, in two little passages, one is in 2 Corinthians, in chapter 12. <clears throat> okay, so here, he has this great experience with God, and then something happens to him. Something happens, and we don't know what it is. He uses a metaphor, he doesn't tell us what it is. He says a thorn. He calls it a thorn. We don't know what it is. Okay? Uh, so, he says here... Um, yeah, so regarding this, he calls it a messenger of Satan. A thorn in the, in verse 7, a thorn in the flesh was given to him. A messenger of Satan to buffet me, to keep me from exalting myself. Isn't that interesting how he frames whatever that is? He doesn't say, God, take it away. He says, hmm, okay, God is using this in my life. But then he says, concerning this, I entreated the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses that the power of Messiah may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, distresses, persecutions, difficulties, for Messiah's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And isn't it interesting, the next few, ver the next few words say, therefore, I, am, uh, I have become foolish. For your, you know, in other words, it sounds ridiculous, right? But this is the secret. When I am weak, then I am strong. In other words, God did not take away that thorn. And then he realized that this is the testimony. See? And it brings contentment. It brought contentment. Now, in Philippians, right? In the fourth chapter, he says, let's see. Uh, in verse 11, not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. And in every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, of both having abundance and seeking need. I would suggest the secret is actually what he said in 2 Corinthians, that when I am weak, then I am strong. Because he says that I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And so, therefore, <clears throat> uh, regardless of what the world throws at us, we certainly can love God, we certainly can serve God, and choose life. We choose life by obeying Him. That is the life, see? Uh, and of course, uh, now that the Messiah has come, that means embracing Him. Uh, you know, embracing uh, the Lord. And so, you know, as we prepare for Passover, as we get ready to, re to remember such a magnanimous moment in history and a great uh, remembrance for us and a great time of year, may we remember 
and take this admonition seriously about do not love the world nor the things of the world. And let us rejoice in the Lord. Uh, Let us realize that true satisfaction comes from him and all that we are in him will indeed last forever. Let us focus on him and he will uh, indeed give us contentment uh, as Yeshua uh, promised. Let us seek first uh, his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, God, for this admonition, this great reminder. And Lord, I pray that we would test ourselves, uh, that we would, uh, 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 Lord, see where is my heart, where is my treasure. And Lord, I do pray, God, that we would be able uh, to cultivate a heart for you so that when I am at work, uh, I have a heart for you. Lord, uh, when I am uh, having a good time, going somewhere, doing something, I have a heart for you. Lord, I pray that we would filter everything through that lens of loving you and living in your ways. And Lord, may we not love the world, may we not be friends with the world, but Lord, may we live in this world in a way that speaks into this world and indeed changes this world. And we do pray in Messiah's name.